Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. I want you to listen to this prayer request um, that came in. Uh, not here, but to a church. I wonder if you can relate with this. I feel like I am in a war zone. It's one battle after another. I argue with my wife, clash with my kids over everything. I fight to keep my job, struggle with our growing debt. I'm losing the battle with my weight. And then there are the conflicts inside me. I fight my own fears. I battle with my anxieties and temper. It seems like I'm always fighting off depression. I just feel like that I'm just fighting to keep my head above water. I would venture to say that that probably is familiar. Probably there are parts of that prayer request that all of us can relate, could relate to. And maybe even the words that this man crying out for God's help and grace in his life, are, they would mimic the words that, that we pray. The situations that we walk through. You know, as we've seen this month, God has a care for his children that heals. We've understood that in this most familiar of Psalms and why it resonates with so many of us so often. This is a favorite Psalm of, of all. is because life by its very nature fractures our soul. This fallen world, it fractures our very soul. And in this psalm, we realize that God opens our eyes to his very nature and to his work, to his person as our shepherd, who desires, as we saw in verse 3, to be continually restoring our soul, healing our soul. Not one time heal, but continually healing. Why? Because the very nature of the life that we live in in this fallen world is continually seeking to and accomplishing often fracturing our soul. And we are in need of that restoring quality, that grace that God alone through the power of his Holy Spirit can give. 
So this psalm resonates with us because it's where we live. It's who we are. It's rubber meets the road. It's you just read my mail kind of psalm. And I and you realize, you and I realize, that life is, life is tough. In this world you have trouble, Jesus said. And it is always consistently, continually coming in to fracture our soul. We've seen through this psalm, and there's so much more you could do in this psalm, right? But we've taken this month to consider how he's restoring our soul, what he is restoring our soul from. He's restoring our soul from disappointments that come so often from failed expectations. He's healing our soul. He's restoring our soul from fear that paralyzes us. He's seeking to restore our soul from doubt that destroys our hope. Now we've also realized that the, the rich imagery of Scripture is, is not only that God shared this psalm through David as a picture of who he is, his goodness, his love, his care, his concern for us. Jesus walks into this world and as he's teaching about who he is, he flows right into that picture because he is God himself. And he even utters the words, I am the good shepherd. And in John 10, we, this whole imagery of God as a shepherd to our soul is just magnified. It's amplified in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have seen that as he is sharing that he is the good shepherd, that in John 10, 10, he has come to give us life and it lived fully. It's, it's, a, it's like a parallel to Psalm 23, a God who is a shepherd, I shall not want. He does this, he does this, he does this. He is trying to create in my life a soul care that creates the potential and the possibility for me to live the abundant life that Jesus has promised. We've realized, and it makes sense, right, that you and I, it's, it's hard to live life fully when you and I are not healthy. Uh, we're hindered, we're hampered in our life if we're not healthy and it's very difficult for us to experience life fully. I think the, the picture of our soul carries the same kind of a picture. God who is continually seeking to restore our soul so that we are healed from the fractures of this life and we are healthy and able to experience life fully, abundantly. Psalm 23 is soul care. God's plan is to consistently bring healing so that you and I can live healthy. And so today I want to finish with verse 5. It, it, and you know this verse. To me, it's the most intriguing verse of this psalm. But it carries with it maybe the richest imagery of the psalm, although it's all incredible, right? But I wanted to end this restored month with this thought that comes from this picture. Now, let me read it for you in case you... Uh, are not sure where I'm going. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, it overflows. Now, now I'm going to just kind of put it out there. There's two places this could go. Uh, or two ideas, images behind this. I'm going to share with you one that, okay, I'm going to tell you what I think prefer, uh, what I think most prefer. I think both, though, the picture brings us back to the same truth and idea. It, obviously, this, this is written as God portraying himself as a shepherd. And so, as we have walked through these verses, we see the role of a shepherd in leading beside still waters and green pastures and the rod and the staff that comforts, right? This is a picture of, to us of the role of a shepherd. And if you continue that imagery out, verse 5, maybe there's a, a sense where um, th this word uh, table, it's the word, um, it's kind of the word mesa. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it could continue the idea of where most of the time sheep grazed. And the shepherd would know those areas. He would be careful to, uh, as he came to those areas, to prepare those areas by, by eliminating them of poisonous weeds or plants that a sheep might feed on. He, he, would, he, would, he, would, he would make sure that it was an area that he could keep safe. And there was these areas in Israel that were kind of mesas where there was lush grass and it was a, a grazing area. And so you could carry that imagery on where God, God as shepherd is, is leading his sheep to this place that even in the middle of wild animals and, and fierce weather, sheep could graze because they were under the watchful care of their shepherd. I think it's a stretch. But you could. It just tends to make sense that as he writes this psalm, he does switch gears. There is a, 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 another picture that he wants to share with us. But I think both images could lead us to the same place. But it tends to, to present this, this imagery of now God as a host. You... God is a host. Prepare. That word prepare is well planned. A table. And what's cool about the imagery of these words, I don't want to get into them too much, is this is the word for a king's table. Right? Not just a simple, common, ordinary dinner table, but the king's table. And all that is involved with the king's table. Right? I mean, it is lavish. It is the best food. It is more than enough food, right? The king never goes hungry, correct? The king has, as always has what he needs, even what he desires. And there is no shortage. You, God, as host, his idea, his deal, 
prepare. You have planned out, well prepared, well planned out a table, a bountiful feast for me, before me. And it's in the presence of my enemies. They are going to watch and observe me at this feast. This feast is actually not in just the good times of your life, but while you are in the middle of your battle, your struggle, your attack. To me, this seems to picture the imagery of a host and a banquet. But you can go either way. Whatever works for you. I'm sure there was only one, but often we have to work through that. But it comes to the same idea. As I look at this verse and as I think about us and what does this mean, I, I, I obviously, maybe it's just my personality, um, half empty guy, right? When I look at this verse, can you guess what word stands out to me? Enemies, right? Tell me the bad news. If I can just get my head around the bad news, then I, you know, I can deal with everything. And I think about this word enemies. I think about David writing this psalm. And it's so easy to understand David talking about enemies, right? The guy spent basically all of his 20s running for his life. We talk about our 20s, right? Like... Uh, when I turned 30, it was like the hardest birthday. It really was. It was 40 was nothing compared to 30. Because 30, I realized, oh, great. I got to grow up. Right? Because you still, when you're in your 20s, you still feel a little bit carefree. You're starting a family, but you're not all in on, you know, all that means. You're still taking trips and doing adventures. It's a, you know, kind of thing. Think about David, man. His whole 20s, none of that. He's going from cave to cave, hiding out. Every day could be his last day. He could be seen. He could be spotted by the wrong person. Saul could end up in the right place. Saul's army could be too close. He might not have a way of escape. That's his whole 20s. Right? So when I think about this psalm and David writing us, I get his enemies, right? The Philistines, these people that he was always in conflict with, that, that hated him. Except for one period of his life, a weird period of his life. Most of the time, his enemies were, were I get that. I think about, well, I don't have that story. How is this verse relevant to me? You know, I don't really have enemies. Unless you're not telling me. I mean, I, I, I think about my life and uh, what came to mind was sixth grade. I, Ernie. I can't even remember his last name. I want to make it up, but I, I can't remember his last name. 
I just remember, I don't even know why, but all of a sudden during lunch recess, Ernie and I are going at it, fists flying. Right? And I remember ending up, you know, obviously in some office, some whatever. I still remember, though, I don't even remember what we fought about. I don't really have enemies. And I'm sure that you, probably looking at your life, there's really not this idea of my enemies. Like, I, how is this relatable to me? I, I get David, but I don't live with enemies, per se. And I would remind you that David writes this in this soul care, spiritual sense. And I would remind you that the scriptures do teach us that you and I do have constant enemies. And maybe you weren't aware of them, but as I talk about them, you will, whoa, yeah. I, I would share that I think there's three that the scriptures would, would, uh, would, would share with us. The fallen world around me is my enemy. I think about what 1 John chapter 2 says. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is, is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. James chapter 4 would remind us, that friendship with the world is to become an enemy against God. Right? You and I, every day, live in a fallen world. That if I am going to follow Christ, if I am going to experience what God has always planned for me, hoped for me, died for me, then I have to see this fallen world as an enemy. Now notice what I didn't say. I didn't say the world. Okay? Um, and why I say fallen world is God created a world that's good. But because of sin entering into the world, it has now become fallen. And what it means to have lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is for all of a sudden... The good things God has given to us, we have misused and distorted them. And we now have a tendency as fallen people to place our hope and affection on the creation and not the creator. Right? And the tendency is for us to fall in love with and as I fall in love with, I then heed, I, I headlong pursuit and believe and create an affection in my life that says, if I can just have this, if I can just experience this, if I can just have a relationship with this person, this will bring all that I have ever hoped for and need and desire. Right? That's the love of the world. It's a misuse. Lust 
is a misuse of God's good gifts. It's a distortion. This becomes my enemy if I'm going to live experiencing the goodness that God has for my life. Right? There's an enemy, the fallen world around me. This, the fallen nature inside of me. Right? This bent that I have. It's like Galatians chapter 5 says when he's trying to present to us this life of, um, of being spirit-filled and being, having the fruits of the spirit. God's desire for our life, right? Jesus manifested. He was exactly all of those things. And he's leading us to those things, right? As his spirit lives in me, he is creating then the fruits of that relationship with him, right? Actually, the word is singular. It's fruit, Right? It's him in me creates these things. But here's what he says. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not able to do whatever you want. Right? And so there is this, always this understanding. I think you get this. That one of my enemies... Is this fallen nature inside of me that's trying to pull me back? And every day I have a choice to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. If I walk in the flesh, it becomes my enemy. I become my own worst enemy. You've heard that, right? There's a reason why we say that always. Trust me, my life before Christ was a disaster zone. Walking in the flesh. Seeking after this to satisfy, realizing it didn't, so seeking something else. And in the meantime, living in destructive, dysfunctional behaviors. Right? So an enemy is the fallen nature inside of me. What the word calls the flesh. Now again, there is the good body that God has created in the image of God. Or this bent and fallen nature that has come because of sin. It becomes my enemy. Or third, Satan against me. Correct? This is obviously an enemy. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. I don't know that I need to elaborate on this. You're aware of this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't have enemies, Chip. Yeah, you do. The fallen world around you, the fallen nature in you. And Satan coming against you. And so what does this mean for me? Well, I want to carry this out a little bit farther. Because I would say this. These enemies that we have work together as the basis for that which would stop me from living the full, vibrant, healthy, spiritual life that God has promised. And if you'll follow my train of thought here, I think you'll see exactly what these three in tandem 
are always seeking to do. What happens is as we face these enemies, we become overwhelmed with anxiety. Anxiety exists because of these enemies. Right? And what I believe, as you can see, Satan against me, he kind of leads the way, is the prototype for what these enemies are always trying to do in my life. Remember him in the garden as he approaches Eve? What does he do in his language as he deceives her, correct, and Adam? Uh, it's a twofer, right? Because people say, like, you blame the woman, so you always blame the woman or something. Not true, right? But, like, he deceives her by this, this do you really have enough? Do you have enough wisdom? Are you enough? Could you have more? He creates in her soul this anxiety that maybe I'm missing out on something. Maybe I don't have enough. And as he leads the way with this kind of thinking, you see all through Scripture... He is consistently doing this, causing us to question whether God is enough for us and whether he is good and do we have enough. And then you see the systems of this world who are living on this idea of when is enough enough and do you have enough? Have you experienced enough? Do you have enough resources? And it's the system of this world is this race to enough. Really what is happening to us is what I would say anxiety is being created in our heart by our enemies. And it's centered in this question, is it enough? Is it enough? Think about this. We ask ourselves these questions all the time. Am I safe? Come on now. Am I safe enough? And as we think about that, anxiety starts to well up in our soul. So we put all sorts of mechanisms and systems and policies and procedures into our life. Because we're trying to answer the question, am I safe enough? I mean... That's the country we live in. We spend more money on our military than the next 26 countries combined. Don't read into this. I'm not some flaming anti-military guy. I'm just saying, we are always asking this question, are we not? Am I safe enough? Security systems. Right? Am I safe enough? What is enough? We're asking ourselves all the time this question. 
Am I healthy enough? Right? Come on now. That's why I'm jacked up on elderberry today. It's going to be honest. Elderberry and probiotics and ester C right now, they're all flowing through my system. Because I'm asking myself, am I healthy enough? Could I do something more? Should I do, should I do something more? Right? And it becomes an anxiety to our soul. Because we always are trying to figure out what's enough. Or is it enough? Is there another supplement I can be taking? I'm teasing. Right? We ask ourselves this all the time. Am I wealthy enough? And our world just lives on this. What do I need? Is it enough? And we have anxiety because we lay at night and try to think about how much retirement do I need? How much of this do I need? What happens if this happens? Do I have enough? Is it enough? Am I wealthy enough? And that's a whole rat race. I think of one of my favorite quotes of all time. John D. Rockefeller at that time, probably the most wealthy man in the world. Right? Was asked. Rockefeller, how do you know when, enough, when, when you have enough? And he said, well, just one dollar more. That's, when, that's how he lived, just one dollar more. And we sit there and ask ourselves, are we wealthy enough? And it creates in our soul anxiety. The anxiety of enough. And that's at the core of what the enemies of our soul are always trying to do to bring us to a point where we question, is it enough? The world around me lives on this scarcity mentality and dog eat dog and you got to get ahead all, you know, and it's enough. You have to have enough. You have to uh, listen to these questions. Think about or the, the, uh, the Satan coming against us always. Is it enough? Am I happy enough? We have this whole thing now of this, uh, this whole uh, synonym, fear of missing out, right? And we, 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 we just, we live with anxiety. Could I be happier? Am I experiencing enough? Could I do more? Am I loved enough? Am I loved enough? In our relationships deal with this am I loved enough I would say that some of us maybe think am I liked enough and it creates anxiety is it enough have I done enough have I done enough am I successful enough favorite story with this Tom Brady that 60 minutes interview you can look it up online I mean, the guy had already won who knows how many championships. I was reminded of this interview this week. Um, and I hate to talk about Tom Brady, but I'm going to. <laughs> championships, hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts earning. 
uh, supermodel wife, right? By every metric that this world would set, Tom Brady has accomplished it. And yet he sits in a 60 minutes interview and looks at the interview and says, I just feel like I'm not experiencing what life is about. Is it enough? You see, what happens is that's the system of this world. That's the fallen nature of this world. Always trying, but getting, accomplishing, and never being satisfied. It's like St. Augustine said, our souls are always restless until we find our rest in you alone. And we live so often with the anxiety of enough. And of course, the most often the most often asked question, am I good enough? And the whole systems of this world, the religions of this world, are following headlong after trying to answer this question, am I good enough? And what this does, and to me this is the sentence I really, the anxiety of enough drains our vitality drives our efforts, robs our peace, steals our joy, irritates our disposition. Amen? Come on now. You're stressed about work and job and finances and are you doing enough? And you become irritating. Just ask your spouse. It irritates our disposition. It splinters our relationships. It runs down our health. And it ruins our faith. The anxiety of enough. And the enemies of our soul are trying to constantly push us to live on this treadmill, this rat race of, is it enough? This is where the psalmist, I think, Gives us a picture, an image of how I don't have to live my life anxious. Questioning, am I safe enough? Am I healthy enough? Am I wealthy enough? Am I this enough? Am I this enough? When he gives us this picture in verse 5. Of him as a gracious host. Who invites us to his table. Even in the middle of our You see, in the Orient, and no doubt this was the picture he was using, if you were invited to a a dinner, dinner, if you were invited to a dinner, not only was the host obligated to entertain you, but as soon as you passed through his gate onto his property, he was obligated to also protect you. (laughs) And when once the meal of hospitality had been partaken, all the power and strength of the host became assured to to the guest. He was safe and secure because of the protection, not only the provision, but the protection of the host. This table 
this picture of the king's table. It's an ultimate act of generosity. It's not a scarcity mentality. The words here are used. If you begin to think about that, that he uses these words, like not only he invites you to this, this, this table in the presence of my enemies, but you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Those two sentences are sermons in and of themselves, but I will just simply tell you that it is absolutely a picture of lavish generosity and unrestrained provision for you. And the image that God wants you and I to grab a hold of is in the middle of this life that we live with the enemies all around us. And you say, I don't have an enemy. Yes, you do. It's always trying to rob, kill, and destroy from you experiencing God's blessing, His provision, His goodness, His presence in your life. The world, the, the fallen nature, the Satan against you. That the promise, and they're always pushing you to live in a sense of anxiety, of is it enough? Do I have enough? Am I enough? Is it enough, enough, enough? That in the middle of that, God gives us a picture of what he calls us to, to see that is reality and then to live in faith and hope of. And that is to sit down with him at this table, even surrounded by our enemies. What a powerful image. What is the table? Think about the table. <laughs> the table for me is, it's a place where it's relationship, right? What do we do with our friends and family? We gather around the table. And there is, there is relationship. There is, there's nothing like eating a meal with somebody. Is there not? Sharing a meal. There's an intimacy. There is a bond. There's a relationship that is built around the table. I think about my family and, and just how the table, sitting around the table, sharing meals over my life as a child. And then as I got older, bringing my family back. Where all of it came together and created a strong sense of my security, of my belonging of my being loved, of my entering into relationship with people and the strength that came into my life because of the table. That's what the table does. It builds, brings relationship. And God is inviting us in the midst of the anxieties of enough and the enemies of our soul that are pushing that and causing us anxiety do I have enough? Am I strong enough? All of these things against the enemies of our soul. He's inviting us to simply sit in relationship with him. Think about what the table is. It's, it's celebration, is it not? What do you do when something big happens in your life normally? You come together with a meal, right? You celebrate. Think about our marriages. What do we do after the 20-minute weddings we now have, right? Everybody wants a 25-minute wedding and then a three-hour what? Feast. Right? 
the celebration around the table. And God invites us to celebrate Him, His goodness, His provision. How do I stay off the treadmill of, is it enough? I celebrate intentionally, consciously. I come back to His goodness, His provision, His character, His nature. The table is provision, right? I am fed. I have what I need. And it's security. I am protected by my host. You see, I think anxiety, and it's not just my little opinion, which doesn't matter much, but the data all shares, is that we are more anxious now than we ever have been in the history of the world. We have more than we've ever had, and we're more anxious than we've ever been. Why? Because we live on the treadmill of is it enough, and we keep trying to make sure we have enough, and it just creates this huge, big ball of anxiety. And God invites us in the middle of that to just sit at his The table becomes the bold declaration that God has enough. And it goes like this. Sit at the table instead of running on the treadmill of anxiety. You say, well, how do I sit at the table? How do I sit at the table? Well, again, it's back to what we always remind you of have you made space in your life to worship God without distraction not mindlessly but have you allowed space in your life to consider the nature the character the goodness of God this is obviously we do this in music right but are you filling your life with spaces maybe it's through the help of music or maybe it's through silence and solitude I don't know what it is but are you carving out intentionally having space in your life to worship God this is how you sit at his table are you allowing uh, space for his word and prayer to exist in your life this is how you sit at the table This is how you have relationship. This is how you celebrate. This is how you're fed. This is how you sit at the table. I wish I could tell you there was some magic pill or words to chase away anxiety. But honestly, what the scriptures have always presented is sitting at his table. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God, right? 
I guess there are ways in this world to manage your anxiety, right? Pills. We can manage that. But to eliminate the very source of our anxiety is to sit at his table. And in that image, we see that God absolutely has enough and is enough. And this is why Jesus said this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No, you're actually causing further damage to your psyche, to your emotional state, to your, then your relationships. Come on. How many of you have been anxious and it's not helped your marriage? All the time. It's breaking down your health. Jesus is saying, listen, worrying isn't going to do you any good. It's not going to change one thing. Except for you, negatively. And then he says these words. So don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Yet you, your heavenly Father, knows what you need. Seek first his kingdom. Sit at his table. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I am going to choose to sit instead of running on that treadmill of enough, of the anxiety of enough. I thought I wanted to show one of those videos. I love those videos of people on treadmills and they get it going too fast or they try to get on it before they're ready. Those things will shoot you. It's amazing. Shoof! And then you see people on there and they want to get off, but they're not quite sure how to get off. And so they're just like, you know, it's great comedy. But honestly, it's probably a picture of so many of us with anxiety. Sit at his table. He's the only one. He's the source of what can eliminate your anxiety. I love the picture of Peter in Acts. He's in jail. He's been in prison. And we read this about Peter. Peter's sleeping. Now remember Peter, before, he's got his sword out and he's cutting people's ears off. But he's developed in such a relationship with his father, with the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's in the middle of prison and he's just sleeping. It's such a picture of, God's got this. I'm okay. 
I don't need to pace and rattle the... I'm his. And he's broken out, right? Remember? He leaves. It's just such a picture of me. Uh, Of not me. (laughs) I wish it was me. Picture of how his life evolves under the care, provision of the Father. I just invite you to stand and let's sing together. I think one of the greatest fractures to our soul is anxiety. The anxiety of is it enough? Why don't you start to choose to get off that treadmill? Let's just start sitting at his table and recognizing all that means. God is enough. This is why Jesus, who we can trust completely, says, don't worry. It's never my plan for you to live in worry. I am enough. I know what you need. I will supply. I will take care of you as my children. Let's sing this this morning. God, I look to you and I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. And God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom, you know just what to do.
prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's a picture of a God of provision, a God who is way more than enough. And as we're pushed and pulled and tugged to try to live in the anxiety of enough, Am I safe enough? Am I this enough? And that's just the whole, the Satan against me, the world around me, the, the, the fallen uh, nature inside me, or trying to put it all on me to be enough. God is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You just need to sit at my table and realize that as my child, <laughs> my provision, my protection, my everything is enough. And in the middle of all these things, just sit at my table and let me show you. Let me provide. Let me strengthen you. Let, help, let me help you to live above anxiety. So Lord, help us just to learn in whatever ways and however ways to sit at your table. To enjoy that fellowship, that relationship with you. It chases away our anxiety. Lord, thank you for your word. Go with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.